a special day in my life, uh, not because it was my birthday and not because it was the day that I preached my trial sermon a long, long time ago. But the reason why it was a special day is because my mother, who is now in heaven, gave me a book. And the title of that book is Personalities Around Paul. That book, I still have it in my possession. My mom wrote some encouraging words. Uh, having been a pastor's wife, uh, she wanted to encourage me as I went into the gospel ministry. And I remember... Uh, during that service, my mom hollering. I don't know if she was crying or weeping or what, or excited, but I think she was just concerned about what I was getting myself into. And uh, now I know why she hollered on that particular day. But that book has been a real blessing to me uh, because it reminds me of the fact that not everyone in the program of God is going to be a bright light. A lot of times we have those aspirations that we want to be up front, we want to be significant, we want to be before people, etc. Uh, we want to be like Paul and some of the other major characters of the Bible, but God sovereignly determines how a person functions uh, in his work. And so in that book, there are some lesser lights, some people that you and I many times would not think about or focus on, but yet they are important in the eyes of God, and particularly because God mentions him, them in his word. So today what I want to do is focus on one of those lesser lights. I want to focus on Epaphras, one of the people who surrounded the great apostle Paul. Epaphras is a shortened version of the name Epaphroditus, but yet they are two distinct individuals. Epaphroditus was from Philippi. Epaphras was from Colossae. So they're two distinct individuals. Epaphras was a citizen of this uh, city where Paul is writing to the Christians in that city. And he probably came to faith in Christ under the ministry of the Apostle Paul when he was in Ephesus for three years. Now, Epaphras is mentioned three times in Scripture. There are five verses, so to speak, that reference him. But his name only occurs three times, twice in Colossians. We read those and once in the book of Philemon, not Philemon, but Philemon. Okay, so uh, he's not mentioned a whole lot, but yet he is a significant individual in the eyes of God. And that's really what matters. It's not uh, what matters is not how you and I view a person, but it's how God views a person. And so many Christians do not even know who Epaphras is. But it's important that we learn about him. And the reason why it's important to learn about him is because he serves as a model. He serves as an example of living a godly life. 
And when you read about Epaphras, he's not in the heart of the books that Paul writes. He's in the introduction. He's in the conclusion. So again, uh, he's not presented as some significant or major individual. He's a lesser light, but he's a bright light for God. And I want to especially address this message to the men of Fairview. You know that it's my practice on Father's Day to address the men. On, women's, on Mother's Day, I address the women. So I want to talk directly to the men. And I want to challenge the men. I want to dare the men to be an Epaphras. You might not know who he is, but I think as we look at these three passages that mentions his name, it will inform us on who this man is and challenge us to live the way that he lived his life. So men, I want to challenge you and dare you to be an Epaphras. I'm not interested in playing the game truth or dare. I want to give you the truth and dare you to follow the truth and be obedient to the truth. And ladies, you'll find that the things that I'm saying is really not gender specific. It's for you also. So I want to challenge particularly, though, not just the fathers, but the men under the sound of my voice. Dare, be courageous enough to be an Epaphras. Don't be passive, but be courageous and strong. Dare yourself to be like this man. And there are three dares that basically come from the life of Epaphras. Men, I dare you. I dare you to be sold out to Christ. That's my dare for you. Be sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is one of the valuable lessons that we learn about this man Epaphras. He was a man who was sold out completely and totally to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see that in Colossians 1 verses 7 and 8. Epaphras gave himself over completely to Jesus Christ. When we come to Colossians, the first chapter, particularly in verse 3, it begins with a thanksgiving section. Paul writes, we give thanks. And then he goes on to thank God for the Colossians, for their faith, for their love, and even their hope. And he mentions how in the gospel, in the good news about Jesus Christ, there is hope. And that's why we preach the gospel. That's why we proclaim the gospel, because in the good news about Jesus Christ, there is hope. And Paul mentions that hope that's in the gospel. And in doing so, he says to the Colossians, you had the privilege, you had the wonderful opportunity to receive the gospel from a particular individual, and that individual is Epaphras. And so as Paul talks about Epaphras in verses 7 and 8, we find out two descriptions of him and two actions of him. 
Epaphras is described as a, in relationship to Paul, our beloved bondservant Epaphras. That's how Paul addresses this really unknown man, this unfamiliar man. Paul says he's our beloved bond servant. And at the heart of his description, he is saying that Epaphras is a slave, that Epaphras is a servant, but a slave literally in his relationship to Christ. But he's not the only slave that existed at that time as a Christian. He's not talking about a literal slave. He's talking about a figurative slave, a slave who was owned and possessed and belonged to Jesus Christ. And and Paul says he's our fellow bondservant, our fellow slave. So Paul considered himself as a slave. He considered Timothy as a slave. In chapter 4, verse 7, he considers Tychicus as a slave. These individuals were a part of the tribe of slaves. They were slaves, not of any human master, but slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Paul thinks about Epaphras, as he describes him, he says, here is one whose will is swallowed up in the will of Jesus Christ. Here is one who is like Christ, who prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but thy will be done. A slave of Christ has no will, has no desire. Their will is lost and is swallowed up in the will of the master. You cannot call yourself a slave of Christ if your will is still what is prominent and important. Many times people's own will gets in the way of God's will. But here was a man that Paul could look at and say, he is a slave of Christ Jesus. He's a bond servant. He's a fellow slave. He's like, Paul says, he's like me. He's like Timothy. He's like Tychicus. We're all slaves of Christ. We have come to that point in our life that what only thing that matters is the will of the Lord Jesus Christ. And no wonder when Paul describes him, he says that he's a beloved. He's a dearly loved slave, fellow slave. Paul loved this man, and he uses one of his favorite terms when he addresses Christians. He loves to address Christians as those who are dear, those who are dearly loved. It's a family term, and as Christians, we are part of the family of God, and we are to love one another. And when Paul mentions Epaphras, He said, this is my beloved fellow slave. We're in the cause of Christ together. We're not half-stepping. We're sold out to Jesus Christ. 
And Paul goes on to describe Epaphras in verse 7. He says, who is a faithful servant of Christ on your behalf. It might sound like he's saying the same thing, but the word servant here is our word for deacon. And the word deacon stresses serving. So so what Paul is saying is, yes, Epaphras is sold out to God, but he serves the Lord Jesus Christ. When you look at his life, what characterizes his life is service. Not periodic service, but service that, require, that refers to him as a servant. That's his nature. That's his character. He serves. And again, we learn that from Jesus. Isn't that what Jesus said in Mark 10, 45? He said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And so when you look at Epaphras, here's a man who served. And Paul adds that word, a faithful servant, a dependable, a reliable, a trustworthy servant. So that when he is asked to do something, you can rest assured that unless the person dies, they will accomplish it. Epaphras was that kind of individual. A faithful servant for the Lord Jesus Christ on behalf of Paul. That is, Paul could use him. And direct him and tell him to go here or to go there. And so that's how he's described. A beloved fellow bondservant. One who is a servant, a faithful servant of Christ Jesus. But it's one thing to talk about a description of a person. It's another thing to see it come out and flesh out in everyday living. And so Paul also talks about the actions of Epaphras in verses 7 and 8. And the first action is implied when he says, just as you learned it from Epaphras. And what he's saying is, Colossians, I'm thanking God for you. I'm thanking that God for the fact that the gospel has come to you. It's increased, it's borne fruit. And he says, Colossians, the, the gospel that has borne fruit in your lives, the, the gospel came to you, you learned it from Epaphras. You, you learned it from this man. And, and that probably means that Epaphras was the one responsible for taking the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to these individuals who were dead in their trespasses and sins. And Epaphras preached the gospel. He proclaimed the gospel. He did more than just simply say, Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. But evidently, he went into the details of the gospel so that Paul could say, you have learned it. That there's some substance, there's content to this gospel. You know who Jesus Christ is. You know what he has done. And and so this man Epaphras 
was committed to proclaiming the gospel. He went to his own people and was used by God to let his own people know that they are lost without Christ, that they need a savior. And he gave them the details of the gospel and they learned it, they received it, they accepted it, they embraced it. That was one of the actions of Epaphras. And some might say that he was a modern-day church planner, that he went to a particular location, he preached the gospel so that people could get saved, and people did get saved. And now in the city of Colossae, there are Christians due to God using Epaphras. But there's something else that Paul mentions concerning Epaphras as far as what he, he does. He says in verse 8, He also informed us of your love. Epaphras was an informant in a good sense. Wasn't a tattletale. He was an informant in a good sense. He could observe the situation and let others know what was going on spiritually. Epaphras could come to our church and spend some time with us and provide us with a spiritual assessment. That's what he did with the Christians at Colossae. And many believe that Epaphras was their pastor and that he took a spiritual evaluation of the situation in this church. Yeah, they had members, they they were Christian, but he took an evaluation. And after he took an evaluation, many believe that he needed further help. And so what did he do? He went to his spiritual father, Paul. Paul was in Rome. Epaphrit was in Colossae. Quite a difference in mileage between those two places. And so Epaphras went there, went to Paul while he was in prison, and told Paul what was going on with the church at Colossae. Here we have the good report. He reported about these Christians that they have love in the spirit. That was a good report. That they have love that has been produced by the Spirit of God. You can tell that a church is healthy. You can tell that a church is doing good when the members of the church love one another, when they seek each other's best possible good, when the Spirit of God moves them and challenges them not to play favorites, not to have cliques, but to love one another. And so when we become a part of a local church, that's what God expects of us. Not just to love those who are the same age that I am. Not just to love those who look like me and the same color as me, but to love my brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what the Spirit of God moves us and compels us to do. And when Paul came, heard about this church, Epaphras informed Paul, Paul, one of the great things that's going on in this church is their love 
for all the saints. And that's being produced not by their human spirit, but by the Holy Spirit. That they have love for the people of God. And so when we look at Epaphras in verses 7 and 8, men, first of all, I don't want you to get turned off by Epaphras. Some of you are saying, well, I'm not a preacher. Don't want to be a preacher. I'm not a pastor. Don't want to be a pastor. And you might think that Epaphras has nothing to do with your life. But the emphasis here is not on the positions of Epaphras. It's on the person, the character of Epaphras. What you can learn and see about Epaphras is that he was sold out to Jesus Christ. And that's what is crucial. That is what is critical. Being sold out to Christ. And we see it when he's called a fellow bond slave. We see it when he's called one who is a servant of Christ. We see it in the fact that he was committed to taking the gospel to those who are dead in trespasses of sin. We see it when he's able to report and inform Paul about how these Christians were doing spiritually. You can't do that unless you are sold out to Christ. And so I want to exhort the men. I want to challenge the men. I dare you. I dare you to sell out to Christ. I dare you to be described as one who is a slave, fellow slave of Christ, who is dearly loved. One who is a servant of Christ. Men, that's not the only dare from our passage. There's a second one. Men, I dare you to be a prayer warrior of Christ. We sung in our songs about prayer. And we, uh, sometimes we lie when we sing these songs. And we say, oh, what a privilege it is to take everything to God in prayer when we don't do that. We don't take everything to him in prayer. It is a privilege But when we come to our text, I want to dare the men to be a prayer warrior. This is the second valuable lesson that we learn from the life of Epaphras. And in order to see this lesson, you'll have to turn with me to chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. In that section of verses, Paul is wrapping things up. He's giving greetings from various individuals to the Colossians. So we would say, oh, that's not the meat and potatoes. That's kind of the afterthought. But it's in the greetings that remind us that we as Christians are to be greeting one another. That we are to be friendly toward each other. But here, Paul, as he gives these greetings from various individuals, mentions Epaphras. And Epaphras is mentioned. And I believe the lesson that we learn from him is that Epaphras was a prayer 
warrior. And I want you to realize that a prayer warrior is vertically aligned. That is, he has a right and good relationship with God. And some of you have heard me talk about this vertical and this horizontal. And many times when I do marriage counseling, my wife and I, we would talk about that things won't be right between the husband and wife unless things are right with God. you got to take care of the vertical. A prayer warrior has taken care of the vertical. He's got a solid, godly relationship with God. And in this case, Epaphras had a godly relationship with Christ. You can't mention Epaphras and not mention Christ. All of these passages instruct us and inform us that here was a man whose life was saturated with Christ. And so we see in verse 12, Paul writes, Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings. Who is this Epaphras? Paul says he's one of yours, Colossians. He's from your city. He lived in your city. Right now he's with Paul probably in Rome as Paul is in the prison. But he says he's one of your, your own. But he goes on to say a bond slave of Jesus Christ. And here he doesn't say anything like fellow bond slave. He says literally a slave. A slave of Christ. Not a literal slave. That is, he wasn't a slave of a human master. He was the slave of a heavenly master, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's interesting, as Paul writes these verses, he had previously addressed those who were actual slaves. You go back to chapter 3, verse uh, 22 and following. He's addressing actual slaves. He says, slaves. So there were slaves in Paul's day. And he says, slaves, this is what you are to do. But when Paul refers to himself and he refers to Epaphras as a slave, he's not talking about one who has an earthly master. He's talking about one who has a heavenly master. And he says, if you just take those verses, basically what a slave is committed to, he recognizes that he has a heavenly master. He obeys his heavenly master. He does it not externally, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. All of those things that Paul says an earthly slave is to do toward his master applies to what Paul is saying about Epaphras in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so a slave of Christ does its work heartily as for the Lord. A slave of Christ recognizes that the Lord will either recompense our reward an individual. Pay back our reward an individual. But Paul is saying Epaphras is a slave of Christ. He's obedient to Christ. 
He does his work heartily. He fears the Lord. He is concerned with pleasing Christ as his Lord and his master. That's who he is. He was properly related to the Lord, aligned properly, vertically. And if that's not happening, what's going on horizontally is not going to be up to God's standards. But please notice that a prayer warrior is also horizontally aligned. And what I mean by that, when you think about the language of a prayer warrior, it doesn't focus on the first person. It doesn't focus on me. It doesn't focus on I. Some of us know that old song, it's me. It's me. It's me, oh Lord. What? Standing in the need of prayer. It's not my brother, it's not my sister, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And it just goes on. It's not the pastor, it's not the deacon. It's me, oh Lord. And that is a true aspect of prayer, but that's not the characteristic of being a prayer warrior. The prayer warrior says, it's you and it's them who also need prayer. It's not just me, Lord. It's my brothers in Christ. It's my sisters in Christ. It's those people without Christ who are in need of prayer. A a prayer warrior doesn't just simply focuses on himself. He focuses on others in particular. And that's why this kind of prayer is called intercessory prayer. Some of us are good at praying for ourselves if we pray. But here, Paul is saying Epaphras focuses on praying for others. And he uses this language of earnestly laboring. No, that's the action. He wants us to realize that here is someone laboring earnestly. It's athletic terms for wrestling, for boxing, for for contending. And Epaphras is involved in this activity of wrestling and contending. Not just once in a while, but always. Did you hear that? Always. Always laboring earnestly. And, and, And this activity is directed toward who? Toward the Colossians. He's earnestly laboring for you, not for himself, not for his personal needs. He's praying for the needs of others, earnestly praying for others. And when does this activity manifest itself? Not on the track. He's not earnestly laboring, trying to go around the track. He's earnestly laboring in his prayers. It's prayer time. It's when he cries out to God in prayer that he is laboring earnestly, that he is wrestling, that he's contending, that he is battling. 
Prayer time is not an easy time in the life of Epaphras. It's a time of struggle. It's a time of contention. It's, it's a time of wrestling. The, the, the prayer warrior is on his or her knees crying out to God on behalf of others. And, and Paul says, this is what Epaphras does. How do Paul know this? Aren't we supposed to go into our prayer closet and pray privately? Was Paul peeking into the prayer closet looking at the praying of Epaphras? I don't think so. I think what Paul is saying is that he and Epaphras prayed together. They spent time in, quote, corporate prayer. They didn't just see prayer as me going into my private closet. But there are times that prayer demands that I spend time with my brothers and sisters in Christ. What we seek to do this coming Saturday. Church-wide prayer. And, and so Paul has observed the prayer life of Epaphras. And said, so this man is a prayer warrior. He's always laboring earnestly for you, Colossians, in his prayers. Does not stop, does not cease. What a wonderful picture of a prayer warrior. And what is it that Epaphras prays? Paul says he prays that you may stand perfect and fully assured in the will of God, in all the will of God. Paul says, I'm praying. Paul says, Epaphras is praying that the Christians at Colossae will grow up, that they will be mature, that they will be fully assured when it comes to the whole will of God. He, he was not happy simply because they put their faith in Christ. He was a prayer warrior because he wanted to see others like Christ. What Paul wanted for the Colossians and for every Christian, Epaphras wanted for the Colossians. In Colossians 1, 28 and 29, it says, that Paul proclaims Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man that every man might be made complete in Christ. That was kind of Paul's goal in ministry. His goal was to present every Christian complete in Christ. And that required that he would agonize and work hard, etc. Well, when you look at Epaphras, he had that same goal. But he didn't accomplish the goal necessarily through preaching. He accomplished the goal through praying. So he was praying regularly and continually. He was on his knees praying for these Christians. Why? That they might stand, stand firm. What we've been saying in spiritual warfare, stand firm and stand mature. Not as babies in their diapers, 
but mature Christian and fully assured, understanding all of the will of God. That's a prayer warrior. And it didn't just stop there. If you look at verse 13, the other thing that Paul did is that he was concerned about the Christians at Colossae. Paul says in verse 13, For I bear him witness that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. He has a concern for them. You might read that word and hear that word deep concern, but it's really the word laboring hard. Paul could testify about Epaphras, that he's laboring hard, working hard. In fact, this word is not used that often in the New Testament, but it is used in the book of Revelation. And when it is, three times it's translated pain, P-A-I-N. And so I think as we come to what Paul is saying here, is that Epaphras was painstakingly working hard so that Christians could be built up. And part of those Christians being built up was he would pray that they would stand mature and fully assured. Men, men, are you a prayer warrior? Are you a prayer warrior? I didn't ask you if you were a pastor or a preacher or a teacher or a deacon. I asked you, are you a prayer warrior? And if you're a Christian man, you can be a prayer warrior. And I want to dare you to be a prayer warrior. I want to dare you men, Christian men, to get on your knees and wrestle with God for the souls of others, like Epaphras did, laboring earnestly, painstakingly committed to trying to get other Christians to be what they should be. So may it be known that you are that kind of man, that people know that you're on your knees praying and crying out to God for the well-being and the soul's a people. And this is not a challenge to be a prayer, a professional prayer. I tell people I'm a professional prayer. I'm assigned to pray many times, and people recognize me as a professional prayer. So anytime we got to eat food, have the pastor pray. I'm a professional prayer. And some of you are professional prayers. But this is not what a prayer warrior is. A professional prayer prays in front of people. But does he pray with the people? Does he pray apart from the people? That's a prayer warrior. A prayer warrior doesn't wax eloquent in in, in prayers. Sometimes I laugh because sometimes our prayers, we're preaching. And I feel like raising my head and saying, amen, brother. We're preaching. 
I don't know if we're praying. I don't know if we're crying out to God. But, but a prayer warrior recognize the importance of crying out to God on his knees. He does it individually and he does it corporately. I'm convicted when I look at this man Epaphras. I'm convicted that sometimes I can only spend minutes in prayer. I'm a man. I need to pray for myself. I'm a husband. I need to pray for my wife. I'm a father. I have two adult kids. I need to pray for both of them. I have a son-in-law. I have a granddaughter. I have a sister. I have a brother. How much time am I devoting to God in prayer? Am I a prayer warrior? Or am I just a professional prayer? I can pray in front of you. I can come up with prayer bulletins and all of that. But am I praying at home? Am I known to pray with others and privately? Men, you're needed. Some of you are fathers. And you need to be a prayer warrior when it comes to your kids. Because your kids aren't walking with the Lord. You try to set the example, etc., but all you can do is fall on your knees and pray. I'm a pastor. I should be praying for you. I should be crying out to God for you. I'm a president at a Bible school. I need to be praying for the student. There's so many things that we should be praying for. Prayer warriors. Just think what would happen. With our small group of men here at Fairview, if each man committed to being a prayer warrior, we would turn Inglewood upside down. But prayer is not impressive. It's not something that is attractive. It's behind the scenes many times. But oh, how we need prayer warriors. So I dare you, men. I dare you to be a prayer warrior. I dare you to get on your knees and and pray for others. Quit saying, it's me, it's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. But start saying, it's my wife, it's my son, it's my daughter, it's my grandkids, it's my neighbors. It's the people I work with. They need prayer. Am I going to be a prayer warrior? That's work. Nothing glamorous about it. It takes work. So I dare you to be a prayer warrior. There's one more thing, and I'll be quick. And that is, I dare you to be captured by Christ. I dare you to be captured by Christ, to become Christ's captive. Instead of captured by this or that, but captured instead by Christ. That's the final lesson that we learn from Epaphras. This man, like Paul, was captured by Christ in Philemon. Short book, might not be able to find it. 
probably haven't been there too often. You know, page might be stuck together, so you got to unglue them. But Philemon, small book, one chapter, 25 verses. So let me just read the verse for you, Philemon, verse 23. Epaphras, Paul says, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus greets you. Another greeting, Paul is ending his letter, and he, he wants Philemon, this wealthy uh, uh, individual uh, who owned slaves, etc., had a runaway slave, wants him to know that different people are sending greetings. And he mentions Epaphras and just simply says, my fellow prisoner. So he mentions Epaphras as a prisoner. Now, this could be a literal prisoner. Paul was a literal prisoner. He was in a Roman prison. And so maybe he's saying that Epaphras, now that he's come to Rome from Colossae, that he's a prisoner. Some think that he might be talking figuratively of being captivated, our Christ prisoner. I think both can be true. When, when Paul looks at his imprisonment, he always adds these words as it relates to Christ. And so here he says that he's a fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. Paul was literally in a prison, but as he looked at his imprisonment, he wasn't a prisoner of Rome. He was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He had been captured by Christ, and Christ's call upon his life led Paul to be in prison. And so when he looks at Epaphras, Epaphras has been captured by Christ and more than likely ended up in prison with Paul in Rome. But Paul's perspective, I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm a prisoner in Christ Jesus. It's because of my relationship with Christ that makes me a prisoner of Rome. But I'm a prisoner of Christ. And so I ask you, men, have you been captured by Christ? And what that means is you're willing to risk your life for the cause of Jesus Christ. The long form of the name Epaphras is Epaphroditus. Remember, he gambled with his life and risked his life. He rolled the dice with his life in order that he might serve Paul in prison. Epaphras was an individual who was committed to serving Christ, even if it meant prison and death. Man, how far are you willing to go for Christ? Are you willing to be locked up in jail for Christ? Are you willing to go to prison for Christ? Are you willing to die for Christ? That's what's the mentality of Epaphras. In VBS, we learned about Peter. And how the Lord predicted that Peter, God wanted to sift, not God, but Satan wanted to sift Peter like wheat. And so the Lord said, I'm praying for you, Peter. And Peter's response, so to speak, is confidence in himself. He said, Lord, even if it means going to prison, 
Lord, even if it means dying, I'm not going to deny you. And then just a little bit later, three separate times, Peter denies the Lord. But when you're captured by Christ, it's not talk, it's walk. And so when you look at Epaphras, here was a man captured by Christ, willing to sacrifice his life to serve Christ, willing to go to prison, willing even to go to death if it is necessary. And so, men, I dare you to be captured by Christ. Some of us are running around as free men. We're running around free and liberated when we belong to Christ. We are to be slaves of Christ. We are to be captured by Christ. So, men, I dare you to be in Epaphras. I realize that he's not a major figure. You won't find any churches named after Epaphras. There's no Epaphras Bible Church or Epaphras Baptist Church or St. Epaphras Church. But he's a significant individual. He's a wonderful example of a man who is rightly related to Christ. And so I would ask you, are you rightly related to Christ? Accept the dare. Dare to be sold out to Christ. So that it can be said of you that you are a bondservant of Jesus. Dare to be a a prayer warrior. So that it can be said of you that you labor earnestly for others in your prayers. Dare to be captivated and captured by Christ so that you are willing to go even to death, even to jail because of your love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Each of these dares basically stress something that's Important, and that is our relationship with Christ. And so my hope is that all of you, that Christ would be the center and circumference of your life. But foundational to all these dares is the importance of repenting of your sins and putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for salvation. You can't be sold out to Jesus. You can't be a prayer warrior. You can't be captured by Christ unless you first are saved by God. Unless you first admit and acknowledge that you're a sinner and you believe in Christ and you confess him and have him save you. That's where it begins. But if you've already done that, let me dare you to be an Epaphras. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this unknown man that's made known in your word. Help us to know Epaphras better. Help us to learn from his life, both men and women. May we be challenged by his life so that we dare to be sold out for Christ.
that we dare to be a prayer warrior and that we dare to be captured by Christ. May Christ be our all in all. May he be our everything. Not just now, but every day of our lives. Help us to be like this godly man, Epaphras. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One quick announcement, uh, men. Uh, after service, we have a big treat for you. <laughs> there, there's a present for all the men, or just Father, for all the men. So make sure you see one of the ushers after service. They'll cover these two doors. So if you go out this way, you won't get this huge present that's waiting for you. Would everyone please stand for the benediction? Praise God for the word as it was proclaimed by our beloved pastor. If there's anyone present who heard that word and you heard about Pastor Felix proclaim about Epaphras, who was a lower light, yet he continues to shine even to this day. And if you desire to be remembered, even close to how Epaphras was remembered, and if at this point in time in your life you have not accepted Jesus Christ, the only way that you can be a blessing onto God, a blessing onto his kingdom, a blessing onto the people in your life in a way that reverberates like Epaphras, you must first come to the light of Jesus Christ. Place your trust in him as your Lord and Savior. That you may receive eternal life. And if you desire to do that and have questions concerning that, please come forward after church and there will be a person present to answer any questions you may have. And also, if you currently are worshiping with us and you do not have a church home and you desire to lock arms with other prayer warriors in the spirit of Epaphras, then we welcome you to join this church if the Lord is convicting you to do so. And you may come after church and ask any questions that you may have. There will be someone here present to answer questions concerning membership within this church. And also, if you desire prayer, there are some prayer warriors ready to pray for you if you're in need of prayer after church. So please come forward. With that said, today's benediction comes from the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 6. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Please remain standing. <clears throat> 